0: Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. It's awfully good to be with you here today. I feel like I am among friends, and I hope you feel like you're among friends. And that's our subject today for the sermon and for the passage that we're going to be looking at. I Hope you do have your very compelling booklet. And we are on week number four, page 13. And uh, the icebreaker in there is, what was the last thing that made you feel loved by a friend? That's a great question. I think for many of us, uh, we live our lives trying to maintain friendships, looking and wondering who the next friend will be, thinking about how we can be a friend to others. And friendship by the Greeks, Plato and Aristotle spent quite a bit of their writing talking about what they considered a high virtue, which is friendship. That they felt as though having a confidant was a great thing matter of fact, um, the um, great patristic father Gregory, around 375, said, if I were to be asked um, what is the best thing in life, my answer would be friends. And that was a great early church father, and he was in agreement with um, the the philosophers of of the previous generations. Um, And so, We've been this way our whole life. Um, we, we want friends and we want compelling friends. It's just intrinsic to us. Matter of fact, you know, I, part of my responsibility here is I provide pastoral counseling and I oversee two licensed professional counselors. And you know, it's not 100% of course, but so many people that come in for counseling probably wouldn't need to come in for counseling if they felt like they had one or two really great friends. And think about that. Um, Friendships and knowing that you've got really great friends really helps you get through life, get through the day. Um, People who have fought in war, I love watching war movies and learning about war. It's not a happy thing, but there's something fascinating about learning about the wars of the 20th century. One of the things that they will say, the soldiers will say, is the thing that kept them going, the thing that kept them fighting was their friends that were in the foxhole with them. Uh, they say that a man will not die for an ideal like patriotism or the flag, but he will die for his friend. And so Jesus gets at this today, and we're going to take a look at that passage uh, from John uh, chapter 15, but when we talk about compelling, <clears throat> this is something that animates you. What is animating you, motivating you in life? And what is animating and motivating you in your faith towards God? And I think today we're gonna to take a look at how Jesus refers to us as his friends. And I want you to be thinking, this is really, at least for me, one of the most compelling things about my relationship with Jesus. And I think for the, for the Christian, you should be compelled that Jesus calls you friend. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. Here's how we portray friendships today in the modern era. My kids love the TV show Friends. I remember when it came out in 1994, the Bible church that we went to, the show hadn't been out very long, and the preacher at that Bible church in, in, in McLean, Virginia, denounced it. Now, because it's so worldly, so secular, it was really quite shocking to the American conscience in 1974 of how they were going about friendships and their, their, their mores really was what was kind of shocking. Um, and certainly in regards to morality and sexuality, but now it's almost like the standard that, you know, oh, you just let your eight-year-old watch Friends. Um, and but you should be teaching your kids to watch Clifford and Barney because, you know, with Barney, I love you, you love me, we're a great big happy family. It's a great thought. And so we train our kids and we even train ourselves that friendship is very, very important. It is an ideal. It is what we strive for and what we aim for. When my first son was really young, and we were trying to kill time, we would go to the McDonald's or the Chick-fil-A, and he could play for hours on those little indoor jungle gyms, and he always made a friend. I mean, from age two. He'd seek out other kids, he'd make friends with them, and he's been that way his whole life. He seeks people out in friendship. And I think that's a great quality for all of us, is that when we enter into a new environment, we look for ways that we can make friends and be a friend. Now, I put this up because that's me on the far right. I do this because, you know, you go back and forth as a preacher, you're making your sermons too personal. You're not making them personal enough. I put this up there to say this was 1986. It was August 8th. It was the end of our summer project at North Myrtle Beach with Campus Crusade for Christ. We had shared the gospel with hundreds and hundreds of people. There were 40 of us college students on it. And the four of us there, that's Brennan, who still is my best friend, has been my best friend since 1985. And then that's Domi and Diane. The four of us were inseparable. And at that moment when that picture is being taken, I thought in my mind that these three people would always be in my life. We would always be friends. Nothing would ever separate us. Unfortunately, Brennan and I went back to Penn State and the girls went back to Phoenix, Arizona. And for the next two years, we tried very hard to maintain. we visit each other. Uh, five months after this, Brennan played in the national championship in Phoenix. Um, they beat Miami. Um, we were very happy about that. And uh, we tried to maintain friendships. Dommy, two years later after this picture was taken, she married Daniel Boone. Yes, she married Daniel Boone. Daniel's brother's name are Tom, Dick, and Harry. I wish I could make this up, I can't write a better script. <laughs> then, Diane was married the year after that, and she kinda just went off with her husband, and we really haven't heard much from her. And every couple of years, um, Brennan and Domi and I will get on, a converse- get on a phone call, and we'll have a good long conversation, catch up. And it's always like we just saw each other. And that's one of the measures of friendship is, the time between when you last spoke or saw each other is condensed, it's like you never you, you, you never miss seeing each other. So I think we aim for relationships like this. I also wanted to show that that you know for the high school kids that yes your pastor was young once too. Um, so a dear friend of mine, Marty Shelby, she was the wife of a pastor that I served under a number of years ago. She was a first grade teacher at a classic Christian school. In Richmond, Virginia, and she said she always told her first graders this to have a friend is to be a friend And I don't think i've ever heard other than the teachings of jesus a better way to put a frame around it I think people struggle with friendships And one of the reasons why jim arnold is up here today is I put him up to it Now if you know jim arnold, he's always pushing people forward to do ministry so it was nice to turn the table on him. But he is very intentional about pursuing people in relationship and friendships. And I think so often we've, people will complain that they don't have enough friends, their friends don't call them. No, 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 no. To have a friend is to be a friend. And when you, when you cross that Rubicon in your mind towards relationships, it all changes. It all changes. When you begin to think the friendship that I have with others is dependent on me being a friend, not on them being a friend to me, changes everything, changes the entire dynamic. Friendship is a fading glory, folks. We no longer know how to be friends. We are a selfish and self-absorbed culture. Friends seek the betterment of each other. They're willing to compromise time, effort, and interests. A college student was said it's hard to have friends when everybody is so narcissistic and lazy. Let me just illustrate it this way. A friend of mine who, who does quite well gets so incredibly irate with his children who they're playing their video games in their nice comfy home and they get hungry. And you know what they do? DoorDash, Chick-fil-A, back to their video games. Then the doorbell rings, they go down, get it, it's all on the credit card. They spend $20 for that $7 meal. They won't walk down the steps to the kitchen, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, get some leftovers, or get in their car, drive and go get it, no. That is just an illustration. When you live your life that way, you're not gonna have many friends and they're not gonna be real friends, right? Now, we just got done beating up on Gen Z. Now let me beat up on if you're over 60. You move towards isolation. You begin to think, nobody wants to know me, nobody wants to have a relationship with me, I'll just stay in my own zone. That's also wrong thinking. So, What we see in the scriptures, we see this beautiful story first off. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, sword, bow, and his belt. Basically, Jonathan said, Saul's my dad and king. I'm the rightful next king, but I know God's anointed you. It's your right. But I'm making a covenant with you, we are truly BFFs, best friends forever. Maybe one of the earliest recordings in written history of best friends for life, because this predates all the Greek philosophers. And so we see that this is essential to human life. I mean, you don't get very many best friends, but I will tell you that people are dying for it. One last example before we get to the text is I'm familiar with a, a dating situation between college students. And they, the boy and girl have been dating for two months, and the boy refers to his lifelong friend as his best friend, right? And he was telling a story about his best friend that he's known since they were five. The girlfriend gets upset. What? I'm not your best friend? How can that boy be your best friend? Well, sweetheart, it takes a lifetime. You're still the girlfriend after two months. Get used to your station in life. <laughs> Accept it, rejoice in it. You have gotta prove it, right? Because you think about friendships. You start with strangers, you move to acquaintances. Then you become allies. Then you become comrades and companions and then you become confidants. Right? That is the progression of friendship. It takes time. It takes things happening in your life, going through struggles. So let's take a look here. This text is in your booklet on page 13, but I've added verse 9. And that's because when we came up with this text, it was like two months ago. Do you know that's torture to a pastor, preacher like me? I think my best thought's like 30 minutes ago before I get up here even though I'm thinking about it for weeks and months. Here's the scripture. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whenever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, in the next 15 minutes, teach us the deep things here that you're teaching us in your word. Help us to see you as the most compelling friend we can possibly have. We ask this in your name. Amen. I'm going to skip that prayer because I just prayed one. He uses, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He will use the word agape in these seven or eight verses 11 times. That's a lot of agape. Now, he's distinguishing that from the three other loves. You ever want to read a book on it, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves? There's family love, there's friendship love, there's erotic love, and there's this agape love. And... Here's the thing about agape. Yes, if you're a good Christian and you've been in the evangelical fundamental strain your whole lifetime, you know when you hear the word agape, you know the definition. It's unconditional, it's unmerited, it's unselfish, right? But here's the thing that we never really get into it is both qualitative and ontological. It's qualitative in that it's pure and its source is divine, okay? Which when Jesus says as the father has loved me, I have loved you Do you want to know how God's how God loves? It's Jesus the way Jesus loves you the Jesus that you see in the scriptures that you read You see how he acts you see how he acts towards you This is how God loves the way that Jesus loves you is no different than how the father loves the son and how the son loves the Holy Spirit it is a divine, pure, qualitative love, and because we have his word, and by faith the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer, this agape love is in you, which means that if a if a, a, a poor homeless person, someone you have no interest in, don't even know, comes up to you and asks you for a cup of water or five dollars and you give them the cup of water or the five dollars you can love them in an agape way a qualitative way that is the same qualitative love that the father loves you and it's the same qualitative love that you would show your spouse or your child certainly it's not in the same quantity right as a father i'm going to give my children everything when i die i'm not giving the homeless guy everything he can't handle it my kids probably can't handle everything that i want to give them i hope they'll be responsible with the money and the wealth that i give them if there's anything left right but you get it right that, that is the beauty of agape love and, and and being loved by jesus in this agape way is that we're able to agape others and not just select people but everyone This is then why that charge of to have a friend is to be a friend is because you have received this agape love from the Father. You're not trying to squeeze love out of another person. Right? You fill yourself up on the agape love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you're able to give it. You're able to be a friend. And you pray that the person you're being a friend to will reciprocate. Then it's ontological. Agape love affects your mind. It affects your heart and emotions. It affects your will. It affects the whole person. Ontological means being. It affects your whole being. You can't just intellectually love somebody with agape love. If you do, you don't get it. Your whole being has to be changed by this agape love. What? The Father is loving me unconditionally, unmarriedly, purely, divinely? And now it fills me so that I can love others that way? Oh, it's ontological. It changes your whole being. You should be overcome by it, overwhelmed by it that the God of the universe wants to love you so intentionally and so purposely and so purely. It radically changes you. And that's why people should call you a Jesus freak. That's what they did when I came to Christ. They all called me a Jesus freak. Anyhow, you want to know what love is? Just read 1 Corinthians 13. The school my kids went to, we had to memorize it when they were in the first grade. We knew they would be challenged at age seven to love each other. Love is patient, kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Love never fails. The word love there is agape. Here's what you should do. Remember, Jesus John 5 says, all of the scriptures point to me, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy, Jesus does not boast. Does that text change you when you put Jesus in there instead of love? We're not talking about the romantic emotions that we see in movies and books. We're talking about the way that Jesus loves. He then tells us in verse 12 and 13, and the ancients, they, they valued virtuous death. They loved valor and honor. They loved it when the soldier threw himself on the sword. Today, he throws himself on the grenade. They thought that was the highest virtue. And that comes from heaven. Jesus says, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Here's what's really shocking, guys is when he's saying this, it's going on during what's known as the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 17. It's Thursday night. It's the night of his betrayal. Judas has already left the room. He's been traveling with them for three years. This is his final farewell. This is his great adieu to his companions. And so he is telling them that he is in... Thirteen hours, he's going to have nails going through his wrists. He will be dead in 19 hours. And so he is saying, there is no greater agape than me laying down my life for you. Agape alters all of our relational landscapes. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Jesus does not see us as his underlings or his subjects or his employees. The currency of our relationship with God is love, not fear. We do not serve Christ out of duty. We do not serve Christ out of responsibility. We serve Christ because he loves us. There's no other compelling reason that he wants us to have or that he gives us. And if you put another reason to serve Christ into the equation other than his agape love for you, your Christianity is faulty. You serve him because he loves you. And it transforms us. We are not servile subjects to him. And remember this, He says, I call you friends. This is the God of the universe, folks. This is our creator, redeemer. He calls us friends. He doesn't want us to think of him or in this sort of term that, you know, he's so much above us. Yet he is. We are not his equal. When you make friends, there is this underlining assumption, hey, we're kind of equals, Right? We might be teammates on a team or we might be members at a church. We're equals. We're not equals with Jesus. But he lowers that playing field because he's revealing to us that part of the mystery of the Godhead is how does Father, Son and Holy Spirit relate to each other in this kind of qualitative aspect of friendship. Right? Why is friendship such a high ideal for humanity? Where does that come from? It must come from heaven and from God. That we relate to each other as friends. And that Jesus wants them to know that he is their friend. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just stop. Let it sink in. With the God of the universe, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Lord. He wants you to call him friend. Now, you should also be calling him lord and savior and god all that's true but we have a real problem in christianity that this whole notion of friendship see he's trying to help me out here he's saying listen this whole notion of friendship is so underplayed in the church it's underplayed with theologians it's underplayed among pastors i've been a pastor for over 25 years you know one of the one things i have learned about pastors They're not very good at being friends with each other, and sometimes they're not very good at being friends with their congregation. And maybe that's why we haven't heard enough of the value of friendship with Jesus. Oh, what a Savior we have. Oh, what a friend we have. Helping, caring, loving our Savior Jesus. Um, To prepare for this, message, I spoke to one of my mentors. His name is Father William. And Jesus says this, and I'm going to talk about Father William. Jesus, says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear lasting eternal fruit. Go to the grocery store today, buy some fruit, put it on the counter. When is it rotted? Week, two weeks. Depends upon how many preservatives and wax they sprayed on it, right? <laughs> All fruit deteriorates, not the fruit that he wants us to bear. He, we are, when we are living our life with Jesus and for Jesus, the fruit that we are bearing is eternal. It is long-lasting, okay? And notice here, he chose you. Now, I know at some point you chose him back, but he's the primary cause. Remember, he's talking to his disciples here. He said to all of them, Levi, follow me. John, you've come and you saw where I lived, you know, John chapter 1. Follow me. Andrew, thanks for bringing Peter over here. He's going to be trouble, but Peter, follow me. He chose them. These are his friends. And so in preparation for this, and, and here's the last thing I want to say about that. Go and read Mark 14:50. 50. Three hours after he utters these words to them, the soldiers are taking him away. Just three hours later. And in Mark 14, it says that they all deserted him. They ran away. It's either Mark or James, the brother of Jesus, ran away naked because all he had on was his pajamas. He just had a linen garment on. Mark puts that in there to say this is how fast his chosen friends left him. How they did not abide in him. How they did not follow his commands. Thank God he chose us. Thank God he deals with us in grace. Because we're never going to be as good of a friend back to him as he is to us. And here's the thing, folks. This is the gospel. Jesus was deserted by the friends he chose when he went to Calvary, and he died friendless. Why did Jesus die friendless? Yes, to take away your sins, to give you eternal life, but he died friendless so that you won't die friendless. That when you die, he is your best friend. He is your divine confidant. You don't need earthly friends when you have Jesus as your best friend, your truest friend, your divine friend. So then when you relate to other human beings, you can move out and be friends to them, not desperate for their friendship, but in a place of strength because you have your best friend. His name is jesus does that not change the whole landscape does that not help you understand the gospel when you're dealing with other people with your wife and your kids and your friends and your colleagues i don't i don't i don't need them because my best friend died for me so that i wouldn't have to die friendless and when i'm feeling friendless i go to him and then he fills me up with his agape love, and then I move out towards other people with agape love. Let me just close with, um, with what Father William said. Father William um, is 87 years old, and he was a Trappist monk for 29 years. I've known William since 1989, not long after that picture. Brennan met Father William, and then I met Father William. And here's what Father William said, he said, the first part of my Christian life, I went into the monastery because I thought Christianity was to rid myself of the world and to rid the world out of me. He was even 11 years in solitude. Then I went to Bolivia and worked with the Indians up in the mountains because I felt like Christianity was to be among the poor and to show compassion, and to be there where there is injustice and oppression. Then I got married. He married a wealthy heart surgeon in Birmingham. And then he said, Then I began to realize Christianity is friendship with Jesus. That if I make friendship with Jesus my priority, everything falls into place. It's friendship with a purpose. It's a friendship of God's choosing. We need to be talking to him. And I'm going to throw this out here. What if we built in, as a church, into our discipleship methodology, friendship? And here's the thing. Jim, who came up here, he's not the only guy who does it around here. Those of you who knew Bartel Morgan, he did it. Those of you who know John Swain, he did it. They're no longer with us. I will also tell you, I oversee the welcome ministry. The people who are stationed at our doors, they get it. When you come into this church, the people on our welcome team, they want you to know and experience the friendship of Jesus. Also, the people that are teaching our children's ministry classes and our adult classes, I won't won't list all their names, but they get it. One of the reasons why they're leading these classes is because They want you to be their friend and they want you to have Jesus as your best friend. What if this then bled into our evangelism? I came to Christ through Young Life and I was a Young Life leader myself for a number of years. The goal of Young Life is befriending students for the purpose of introducing them to Jesus who will be their best friend. When you're a kid, when you're a student, you just want a best friend. What if? What if you took the approach to evangelism of, I'm just going out and finding a personal friend so that I can introduce them to my best friend? Does that not take some pressure off of, gee, you know, I need to come up with some good answers to evolution, and gee, I need to answer all of their deepest, darkest problems? No. Just go and befriend people and tell them about your friend Jesus. Does that seem plausible? Do you think you can do that? I think you can that's all evangelism is. It's all discipleship is. It's being friends with each other, sharing this bread and this wine of who Jesus is and letting him feed us. So here's your challenge. Week four, connect with a friend or someone from CBC. Um, so what we're asking you to do, maybe right now in your booklet here after church, Write down some people that you want to go have coffee with, right? Or go have lunch with, or invite over to your house, right? Maybe it's you and your wife. Maybe it's just you. Write down some names. Maybe there's somebody that you need to call that you haven't called in a long time. You be the person this week to be intentional in reaching out to others. And what I hope for all of you is... You get like five to ten phone calls from other people here, and you have to say, hey, i got to decline this because there's other people that i got to go have intentional friendship with this week. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Reach out in friendship. Why? Because Christ is your friend. Christ died for you. And we can now share his friendship with a lost and dying world who is desperate. Desperate for a friend. Would you stand and worship this great friend to all of us.